Is it true that your company does a billion dollars in sales a year? No, you're making too much money. Lauren. Hi, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, how are you? I'm so good. I hope you are. It's so good to see you. Yeah, you too. I'm looking forward to this. It's been great to get to know you on Clubhouse. You guys have the best room there. You know, the very best. It's it's. There's nothing else better. I think it's the only thing that's authentic anymore. <laughs> Lauren, look, it's been such a pleasure and pri privilege to get to know you on Clubhouse. Um, Clubhouse is... I've met so many amazing people and look, I'm not going to try not to be a bit of a fanboy here, but I think you are one of the coolest people I've met on Clubhouse. Oh, um, I love you. I feel the same way, just so you know, about thank you. you. <laughs> now, is it true that your company does a billion dollars in sales a year? Yeah, we do. Wow. We do. We do. We, um, we really do. And uh, it's been an amazing journey, 30 years. Um, and I know how successful it is because I just finished doing my, I just began my estate planning, I should say. And everybody's just like, no, you're making too much money. <laughs> I've never had anybody tell me that in my life. It's, and, it's and amazing. It's been an amazing journey. One that I'm really grateful and blessed for. Can you take us back to the start? Yeah. Tell us how you, you built what you've built. Yeah. You know, it was back in 92. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was pretty much fresh out of school, at a high school, not too, you know, I was at, at a high school not too long before that. And um, I remember my, my husband saying that one day uh, people will buy their shoes, their clothing, their vitamins, their cosmetics online. And I just thought that that was preposterous at the moment because not because I didn't believe it true, it's because most people didn't have computers. And, you know, for those of us who understand and remember back then, and you're far too young, Rob, is, you know, we went to the, the library, you know, to check out our books. And we had the Dewey Decimal System where we read, that's how we checked out a book, you know, with the little numbers on the card at the library. And we went to the library to borrow their computer. So, you know, to think about people buying stuff back then seemed preposterous. But I think, you know, we were young enough and um, I guess not corrupt and we could believe that anything was possible. And we did. And so we thought, okay, if people are going to buy online one day, what are we going to sell? And we really focused on that and didn't really realize what we would encounter. You know, mostly people who didn't have computers, people thought it was crazy. Nobody wanted to sell us product because who wants to sell you product for to sell product online? Who has customers online? In 92 is the same year Amazon had started. And, uh, you know, it seemed like there was no competition. We were both in a mad dash to get things on the computer. And it was a real journey, but <coughs> one that nobody, one that nobody would ever believe that anyone would do. Um, and, you know, it, there was a lot of naysayers, a lot of people, as you know, how the world is, you know, people would rather tell you why it won't work rather than why it, why it will work. And I think I just kind of had a really shut down everything around me and just really focus and put blinders on and really focus on what this business could offer us and, and what it could offer to, to people. And, um, and we really went with that and it was really remarkable when I still go back and I think about it today, I still pinch myself and go, wow, I can't believe this happened. And when you say we, who's we, I mean, you've got a big well, organization. 
Well, we've never raised any money. Um, we did everything ourselves. You know, we didn't have any money, but we basically started with blood, sweat and tears. So my husband and I, who had just, you know, started dating a few years before, weren't married quite yet. Uh, my <laughs> brothers, my brothers, uh, one of them was 13. It's interesting. My mom passed away at 42. The first year Market America started and Shop.com started. And that was traumatizing because, you know, my one brother was 13 years old. And so I thought, and my dad wasn't the dad that you leave your brother with. He was more of the dad that, you know, was the strict one in the family. So, you know, I had my younger brother. My mom just passed away. My child was just born. Um, my husband and I just got married right after 92 in, in, in December. Um, my other brother was 18 months younger than me and then my sister. And so we all came together because that's all we had. And we said, let's start this business. But we were all, you know, young and, and wet behind the ears, weren't sure what to do. But we knew one thing, that we weren't going to stop till we made it, that nothing was going to stop us until we did it and, and we what we set out to do. And it was uh, remarkable. And that same team, you know, that team and, and we, you know, of course, we had other friends from school that joined us and that same team's together 30 years later. Wow. It's amazing. It's always amazing. <laughs> so there's so many things I'd love to ask you. One is definitely, what would you say to someone building an online business today? Because obviously the internet is one of the greatest opportunities ever and you've done it and built a billion dollar a year business. So someone wanted to generate business online today, what tips would you give them? I think I would tell them, number one, to make sure they find a product that they love. So whether it be a digital product, a physical product, make sure they have a product that is, you know, know what their niche market is, know what they're looking at, because you don't want to have a lot of Me Too stuff. There's a lot of Me Too stuff out there. You got to know what separates you from somebody else. And I always think that that's really important because everybody's like, oh, I'll just come out with this product. And, you know, you don't want to have a product that, that everybody has. You want to have something that stands out. And I also think, you know, the people need to not try to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of people who try to come in and say, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, do all this work. And there's people that you can plug and play now. Back then, it wasn't like that. You know, we had to build our websites. We had to understand what SEO and SEM and all the organic and non-organic search was. But today, you can actually, you know, go into things like shop.com, Shopify, Amazon, and they do a lot of that work for you. And that's really cool because, you know, you don't have to go back and learn all the things that we had to do. When I think about, you know, all the things that we had to learn over the years, I was like, whoa, you know, that was a whole nother education in itself. And I think that um, now it's so much easier to do that. Don't try to reinvent the wheel when you don't have to spend the money to do it the right way with people who have already done it. But find a great product that you know, that you like, that you trust, and that you wouldn't mind sharing with other people and, and share it. Talk about it. You know, part of the problem with I think a lot of people is, is that they want to have a business, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to do the work. Everybody wants the reward. They don't want the risk. Everybody wants the rainbow. They don't want the rain. Let's face it, right? People, they don't want, they don't want to have to work that hard. They're not willing to put in what you and I put in on a daily. And that really is what it takes to become what you need to become, right? That's that's what you have to do. And so it's it's you know not it's not made for everybody. I always say, you know, if you don't want to put in the work, you don't want to work that hard, don't do it. Don't even try to do it. 
Um, you know, I think most people are so used to breaking commitments to themselves. When you think about it, most people don't follow through and it's because they've never followed through for themselves. You know, they have excuses. They're busy. We're all busy. We all have the same amount of hours. You know, I, I'm always, people always say to me, well, do you have time to fit in? And I always try to make time. And I'm so busy. I mean, I did like six meetings before this one today. I'm always busy, but I always make time for the things I want to do. And I think that's important. So if somebody's really committed to doing something when they're starting out their business, they really do have to know what it takes to do that. Finding a great product, having the right SEO, having the right marketing behind it, having the right you know shopping cart. You know, that's all really important. How do you scale a business like you have over 30 years from nothing? I mean, it must have been so exciting when you did your first million and then 10 million, then 100 million, and now you're a billion. So scaling over a long period of time, how do you do that? Give us some tips. You know, for us, for us, it's pretty, pretty simple. Well, I mean, it's not simple. We don't rush into things. Like one of the things I can say is because some people say, oh, my God, it's taking you guys 30 years to get to a billion dollars. And Amazon has done so much more. We're not trying to compete with anyone. You know, we're trying to be better than we were yesterday. Um, you know, we really focus, number one, on who our customer is. It's really important to us. It's not about how much we're going to spend on, you know, new customer acquisition so much. It's more about how much we'll invest in our current customers. Meaning, what does she want? What does he want? How many children do they have? Do they have dogs? Do they have cats? Do they drive to work? Do they, you know, take tra public transportation? We want to know everything about them so we can offer them everything they need. And that, of course, really has helped scale our business because we haven't had to add constant influx of new customers, new people without, we constantly grow. Every quarter, we have record growth. Even during COVID, we had 25% new growth. And the reason is, is we're always focused on what the customer really wants and needs. Now, when we're talking about scaling to a much bigger scale, we open up in other countries. So we always look to see where people are. Where's the demand for online shopping? Where do our customers know people where they, because we always get like, oh, we wish you were open in Africa. We wish you were open here. And so we look to see where the biggest demand is and then we'll open there. So our last country that we opened was Malaysia. We're doing phenomenal. In Malaysia, you know, we're very big in the, the Southeast Asia and have done very well. But, you know, growth through additional products and through additional countries have always meant more people, more customers for us. What does someone who does a billion in revenue a year know that a mere millionaire does not know? I'm always fascinated between the difference between wow, people. Wow, that is such a great question. <laughs> What a great question. I mean, you're asking me that on a time where I'm, um, I, I think that it is really much easier to get to a billion than people think when they're at a hundred million or more, because what happens is when you build, when you have momentum, it's when things really torpedo and people don't understand that, you know, you get this comfort level of growth, right? Of 10 million, 20 million, 30 million. And, and even your own team sometimes gets to that point, like, oh, we hit 100 million. We can just chill out and sit back and relax. And we've never had that mentality. We've always had that mentality of, oh, my God, we hit 100 million. We got to go. We got to move fast. We got to move fast because it's a snowball effect, right? If you don't push over that mountain, then it starts to fall backwards. And so I think, number one, it's, it's 
it's much easier to get to a billion than it is to a hundred million. Um, and it's much easier to get to a billion from a hundred million because that momentum is there if you don't slow down. But what happens is I think a lot of people get set in their ways, they get comfortable and that's okay. Listen, I could have stopped before. I just didn't have it in me to stop. You know, for me, I think it's it's more about how much more I can accomplish. What else can I do? That's always been super important to me, you know? And I think it's, you know, it's what makes us special. Lauren, there's two things that from the first moment I met you on Clubhouse have struck me about you. One, your enthusiasm and energy. And two, your humility to look at every human being as an equal, despite the fact that in business you're a titan. And they're the two things that struck me probably from the first rooms we were sharing together. So I'd like to address both of those, but separately. The first thing is, how do you do 30 years in business when you said it was hard and you said you have haters, but never lose your enthusiasm? I am so strict, Rob. Like, that's why I love you. I mean, I, I really do. Like, you look for people that remind you of yourself. You look for people who have that enthusiasm, that life, that go-getter spirit, that one that pushes you, that elevates you. Like, you know, you and I, I felt like we hit it off right away. We were longtime friends instantly. And I think when you know, you know. You know what I mean? It's like, for me, I have this really strict rule, like nobody can come around unless they're positive because there's so much negative in life as it is. Why put ourselves through that? Like even tomorrow, like uh, we have July 4th here. So we're celebrating Independence Day and we're going to our yacht in Chelsea, in, in New York City, you know, to watch the fireworks. And, you know, my good friends, Alicia Keys is going to be there. And, and a lot of my close friends, like five or six really close friends with their kids, and everybody's like, before they bring anybody, they always like vet it through me. And I think I think it's because they know how strict I am. Like I'm really particular and cautious of new people who enter without getting like a full rundown of who they are. Because, you know, you want to know that you're hanging out with the right people. And I don't think people put enough value on the friends that they hang out. Like we don't get to choose our family, but we get to choose our friends. And so for me, I'm super conscious of it, super protective of it. You know, I make sure that those are going to be the people that are, you know, go get them, baby. Let's do it. You can make it happen. And all of my girlfriends, my my guy friends, we're all in different industries, but we're all pushing each other to make it. And I think that's such a major factor of, of life because it's short. And why not hang out with the people you want to hang around with? You know, even my own father was always skeptical. I remember when I was growing up, he used to think, oh my God, you got to go to college. And, you know, this is what your, your plan is going to be. And he tried to lay out my future. And I told him, dad, this is not what I want to be. That's what you want me to be. And I think everybody comes to a crossroads in their life where they come to this conclusion and they say, you know what? I'm not going to be this. I'm going to be me. And until you can do that, most often you meet people are living somebody else's life. I wasn't willing to do that. And so for me, it was more about what I'm willing to do for me. And so I think when you kind of cut people out of your life, they're giving you the scissors. You know who they are. You know, when you cut people out of your life, it's okay. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you've got to take a mental vacation for a minute (laughs) and do what's good for you. I love that. And then on the humility part, I mean, let's just cut it how it is. You're in these clubhouse rooms. And listening and learning and sharing when, let's be honest, you're more successful than most of them put together. 
So how do you remain humble and not get ahead of yourself and treat people so equally? I just think it's um, one of the secrets to success to not forget where you came from, to not forget who you are. Remember, I didn't graduate or go to college. My parents couldn't afford to do that. Um, so the closest I've ever been to college is speaking at them, you know, and I have honorary degrees at them. But I think it's because I remember exactly who I am, where I came from, you know, what I want. I lived, I, I've taken all of the pain I've endured over the years and turned it into purpose. Um, and I understand people and I don't, I don't hold grudges against people. So too often we meet people in life and they're mad at people. They hold grudges at people. You know, listen, I didn't come. My mom was amazing. My dad was amazing. He wasn't perfect, but he gave the best he could. He gave me all he knew how to give. And people sometimes often, that's what they do, right? They give you the best they can give for themselves. And we can't be mad at that. Like we have to understand that some people are just made that way. And I think when we stop judging people, um, you know, because I really try not to judge people. If, if, you know, one of my friends says, tell me what you think of this. I'll judge a situation. I'll help give them advice. I never judge people because people often give us what they've been taught themselves. And I feel like we have to give everybody a chance. And there's so much. Sometimes I just want to hear from people because I truly believe. And I know that, Rob, you're an expert at this. So you're asking me a question that you can answer probably better than anyone. Is that you guys give people an opportunity to speak and make them feel important. And you often have more belief. And I see you do this all the time. You often have more belief than people have in themselves. And I think that's a, a magic formula for people making it, for pushing people to success. Let's face it. Most people never grow up and are told, hey, you can be something special. You know, they're told, oh, go to school. You can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can be a school teacher. You can be a firefighter. You can be, you know, whatever. And that's all wonderful. If that's what you're set out to do and that's what you want to be, fantastic. Be the best at it. If you're going to be a roofer, if you're going to be a plumber, if you're going to be any of those things, be the best at it. But so often we never hear anybody. I remember when I told my dad I was going to be an entrepreneur. He was like, what? An entrepreneur? You know, that's crazy. Nobody's ever heard of an entrepreneur. Nobody knows what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And it's true. Back then, nobody was teaching about it. You know, they thought he thought I was crazy. So I do think it's so important not to forget where you come from, to listen to people, to have belief in people. Because let's face it, most people don't have any belief in themselves. And you're the best. You're the master of it. Thank you. You are. You've mentioned a couple of times in our chat here that, you know, you've had some hard times. People yeah. Are definitely inspired by people who've overcome hard times. So do you mind sharing a time in your life or an event that was really hard for you and how you overcame it? Yeah. Two major ones stand out in my mind more than anything. One, in our first year of business, my daughter, my mom passed away uh, and she was 42 and I had just had my daughter who was, you know, seven months old at the time. And that was a really tough time because, you know, the person I hoped would help me watch my child uh, because I couldn't afford to hire anyone. You know, we were flat broke. We didn't have any money. Wasn't there anymore. And then I had this 13 year old brother who needed to be raised and my dad wasn't going to be there as you know, much as I wanted him to be. And I feel like that was a really challenging time because I had to figure out a way to overcome you know, not having the help, bringing her to work with me, having him there after school. And it was challenging, but I truly believe that, you know, God never puts anything in our in our way um, that we can't handle. 
And so I really do believe that that was one of the most trying, challenging times of my life because there was no money. There was no way to get anybody to help. And we all basically passed my daughter around the office when we didn't have a meeting and she would go from playpen to playpen or crib, you know, crib to crib in the, the office. And my brother, too, he grew up rather fast because you know, he he didn't get to have the regular life of, you know, going to school and home and, you know, his sister was raising him. The second um, time was about eight years ago when, you know, I was having uh, everything. I've been very fortunate. Everything I touch really, you know, I work really hard for it to turn to gold. You know, I I really am very self-motivated, self-driven. I have my own goals every day. I said, I have a wall of little sticky notes. And those sticky notes, every one of them represents a month of my life that I have to live. And they're so big that I make sure I accomplish them. But about eight years ago, when things were going really amazing, I had an episode where I had um, brain pain and I found out I had a, a big brain aneurysm in my head. And that was a really challenging time for me because you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. And it was big and nobody wanted to operate on it because it was massive and in a dangerous location of the brain. And I was having already symptoms. Um, And I just realized, like, I could either let this get the best of me, or I could, you know, replace the fear with faith and, and persevere and move forward and get the right advice and talk to many doctors so I can make a quality decision. And I did just that. And so it was like two weeks away from my convention, which is always about 30,000, 25,000 people. And uh, I went to the doctor who I finally found out I wanted him to do the operation. And he said to me, well, we should do the operation right away because you're already having symptoms. You're already having leaking. I was already, you know, clearly having episodes that were dangerous. And I said, well, I can't. I have my convention next week. And he said, are you crazy? You can't go to your convention. And I was like, no, no, I have to go to the convention. Um, I've already, no matter what, I'm going out of winter. So I got to go do this. And, um, you know, I really prayed on it a lot. And I did not want anyone around me to suffer. Um, I'm not the type of person who I always like, I have a philosophy, take it for the team. So I take it and I don't need to share that with anybody else. So if I'm going to go through it, no reason for everybody else to feel it, you know, Oftentimes you'll have somebody will be like, well, if I'm going to do it, you got to do it with me. <laughs> and for me, it was like, no, no, no. I didn't want anybody to suffer like that. So, you know, I made sure I didn't want my family to suffer. I didn't want them to feel that type of pain. And I was very quick and swift. And I told the doctor, as soon as I land from convention, I'll go straight to the hospital. And I did. And I had a very successful surgery. And uh, but it was still a trying time for those few weeks. And probably one of the most scared moments, I think, for the company's organization because, you know, we had never really planned, you know, what would happen and what if. And, you know, you have just as many things go wrong when you're doing brain surgery as you do if you don't do the brain surgery. So I think, you know, the fact that we didn't have time to think it through, but we made quick, swift decisions, which might have been risky for most. But for me, it was the way to handle it. And it was a, just a scary time. But we have endured over the 30 years of our business, you know, bow and arrows and gunshot wounds and, you know, blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, Rob, nobody makes it. There's no line, straight line to success. It's always a roller coaster. You know, I always tell people every morning I wake up, the first thing I do is eat problems for breakfast. You know, I make sure I handle the problems first. Why? I want them out of my way. 
You know, I want to get all the problems out of my way. So each day that goes on, I can stop my day at one or two o'clock and enjoy doing a conversation with you and hanging out with you and do the things I want to do. So I try to do the things I have to do first thing in the morning so I can make progress. And then I get to do the things I love to do. And people get that confused. They put the things they have to do in order to succeed last. And then they never get to them, as you know. And that doesn't work, right? You have to do those things first. You have to put the big rocks first. And uh, and then you always have time for all the other things. Wow, that was a great answer and a great little journey. Thank you for taking us on. You're, that. you're welcome. <laughs> so I've got one more main question and then we'll do a little fun quick fire round. I love that. So in society, in business, on social media right now, I see this new first world problem of overwhelm Mm. so many social media channels everything thrown at us how do you deal with overwhelm because you manage so many things how can people get rid of that overwhelm and be focused I think um I'll be honest with you people often ask me like hey what's the formula what's the magic formula how are you not panicking or overwhelmed or frustrated or falling apart we all have our moments obviously we're all human right I mean I don't have a lot of pity parties. You know, I I don't do that because I don't think it accomplishes anything. I also think that worrying accomplishes less. Worrying about anything accomplishes nothing because it's really just an emotion. It doesn't change the outcome. And so if I have something up against me or if I'm overwhelmed, I really spend my time writing it down and putting in perspective. So I write down, what am I dealing with? What is it that makes me afraid? What is it that's overwhelming me? And I really try to put it in perspective for what it is. Because when we really put things in perspective, right, and we look at it as a whole, we realize it's not as big as we're making it. We have a tendency as humans just to amplify everything. You know, we do that. We do that. Oh, my God, the house was so big or, you know, the journey so long or, you know, there were so many people. Maybe there was 30 You know, you just we have a tendency as humans to exaggerate everything in life rather than just seeing it for what it really is. And I think that, you know, I really do try to put things in perspective. I really do try to say, you know what, it's not as big as I think. This is not that big of a problem. I've handled bigger. I've had conversations with myself in the past where I said, you know what, those things that I thought were so hard, I'm here today. They seem very small later in life. And so I think when you really put things in perspective, it's very important because it really keeps you on track because we do have a tendency. We get overwhelmed. We see what other people have, what other people are doing and think, oh, my God, how can I be like Rob? How can I be like Lauren? How do I do this? Oh, my God, Rob has so many books. How do I do this? Oh, my God, I got to write this. Rob's got so many social media followers. How does he have so many people following him on Clubhouse? How can I be like him? And you just need to stop and take a deep breath and realize that nothing happens overnight. Nothing happens without hard work. I don't care what anyone says. There's a process to everything. I have never been successful at doing anything without the process. Nobody's ever going to get out of this life alive, or at least I haven't met them, (laughs) right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. Think about it. So the truth of the matter is, is that we're all having to go through the process. Right now, we're all in line. We have no idea when God's going to call us. When our time's up, we don't know when that is. Nobody gives us a notice. Nobody gives us a heads up. Nobody tells, bye, sweetie. I love you guys. My grandkids are coming to say goodbye. Love you. See you later. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Say hi. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye.
Bye. I love you. Mwah. I love you. There's my little grandkids. I'll see you later <laughs> on the boat. They're all going to the city. Bye, honey. And so I think, you know, we're all in this line, Rob, and we don't know when God's going to call us, right? And so for me, it's all about the journey. How, how much can we get done? And I know you're so similar to me. It's like, I see death is the biggest motivator in the planet. For me, death is the biggest motivator in the planet. I'm standing in line. I don't know when I'm going to be called. Don't know what he has on his mind, but I'm going to get as much done as I possibly can, which is one of the reasons I love to learn, to listen to other people, to embrace other people. That's why I like meeting new friends like you who motivate me, inspire me. And I think it's so important when you when you realize that you don't need to be overwhelmed, that those are worthless emotions that will do nothing to change the outcome. And that's hard because everybody's like, well, how do you really do that? Because I keep it in perspective. I write it down. I know what it takes to get this done. It doesn't have to be harder than it's meant to be, you know? And I think that's, I think it grows with time. You get that as, as time goes on. And, you know, we, we all handle things differently, but I really do believe I've never really panicked even with my own branding or aneurysm, I never panicked out the outcome. I just, I just wanted to deal with things head on and take them for what they are. Let's not make this bigger than it is. Let's not get everybody in the family all worked up. Let's not do things that are not necessary to do. Let's do the things that make most sense. Amen. <laughs> exactly. Right. Let's do the quick fire. Let's go, bang. I'm so grateful for you sharing the time here, Lauren. This is brilliant. I love you. You know how much I love you. I would do anything. Thank you. So best advice you ever remember receiving. Oh, my God. Um, never. If you don't know what to do, don't make a decision. Worst advice you ever remember receiving. Stop dreaming so big. Biggest regret. Biggest regret. Gosh, I don't have a lot of regrets. Maybe just taking time to enjoy the roses along the way. I really am a workaholic. I love to work hard. And sometimes it's good to slow it down and take a look around and realize how amazing your life has become. Your career high. Oh, my God. Uh, every every moment. I have, I've been really blessed. I'm really a go-getter. And I, I dream really big. And my goals are set really high. So I'm always really proud of myself, which really sounds crazy. But I am. Your single greatest achievement? My daughter. The best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I have a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. I'm sure this interview will end up going on there, but we've got a couple of other places we're putting it first. But what does the word disruptive mean to you? Oh, somebody who's willing to step out of the box, somebody who's willing to be different, innovative, you know, not just a high tech, but high touch. Somebody who's willing to to be unique and, and, and realizes that the majority is not so special, that the minority is so much better and is willing to lead the way and take the bow and arrows and take the gunshots along the way. As you know, it's and, and your expert. I mean, I love your whole disruptive on. I love everything. I love your website, everything. You know, I bought like 25, 30 of your books. I, I love everything you do. So I think it's for me, that person who's not afraid to step up and show up and do something different because I don't know about everybody else, but I know about you. We love people who aren't afraid to be different. We love people who aren't afraid to show up. We love people who are willing to teach us in ways that we're not used to learning. And I need that. I need somebody disruptive. I love, you know, disruptive people, disruptive companies, disruptive products and businesses. And it's the greatest thing ever. Does money make you happy? No, I think that's a great, as a, as an under, uh, 
People just never understand. No money doesn't make you happy. It makes life easier. Does money change you? No, not me, but it does change some people. It hasn't changed me, (laughs) but it has definitely, it definitely can change some people. I don't think money makes anybody happy though. I think money um, makes things a lot simpler. Listen, it's hard to be without money. It's hard to survive with money. Imagine how life is without money, you know? Is there something you believe that a lot of people disagree with you on? Well, I don't think so, but um, no, I don't think so. No, I think, I, I think, um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think so. No. Is there something that you used to strongly believe that you've recently changed your mind on? Oh, Lord. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Sorry for these hard ones at the end. <laughs> no, it's just I'm laughing because I literally just did some start in my state planning. And the, the, the lawyer said to me, like, you can't make any more money. <laughs> and I thought, Rob, I've done the best thing for the last 30 years, being super successful, saving so much cash, being a cash rich organization, no debt. You know, no personal debt, no company debt. And I thought, isn't it the greatest thing? But then you forget the American way is a little bit different when you come to dying, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I need to slow it down a little bit, but not really. I'm just surprised that it's like that. So I guess I'm learning. I'm still learning. No, I mean, there's nothing that I would I would do differently that way. Two more. Um, is there one thing in the world that you fundamentally think is wrong that you'd like to change? Oh, I mean, yeah, there is. But I mean, I I, I wish that people would treat people with kindness. It, it really drives me crazy. Uh, that's one real pet peeve of mine. People just, they're rude, they're quick, they're in a hurry. You know, they never take time to think about what somebody else is going through. And it literally takes a second to be kind to someone. So that's one thing. And number two, politics. I hate it. I hate politics. I hate, you know, I I don't like it because I don't like when politicians try to pretend they're making it about people when they're not really people's about people. And, you know, the only thing I've ever seen move thing, move the needle is people. You know, when people want change, it's people who can move it. When there's a problem, people can fix it. When you need a solution, people can fix it. So I think people are the greatest equalizer. Great. And final one. If there was one person on the planet alive you'd love to see be interviewed, who is it and why? Mm, I'd love to see. I mean, this is just very self-serving. I'd love to see like I'm not going to give you like a business thing. I'd love to see Princess Diana being interviewed after the fact to see what she'd say, because I'm always so fascinated by her lifestyle or Jackie O. I'm always interested in to see women who have kind of given so much of their life to something else to see how they feel about it today. Because I do think that that is a a part of the world that we don't realize. Like sometimes women give so much of themselves and they've sacrificed so much of themselves that you wonder if later in life they resent it or they regret it. Um, And that's I think that's really important. You know, I always I always tell people I need to be the best version of me so you can have the best version of me. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes people live their whole life for somebody else. And, you know, I, I look at my own mother. She did that. And I think it's really important for people to love themselves before they love other people. I think one of the reasons I love other people so much is because I genuinely love who I am as a person. You know, I gen- genuinely wake up and like Lauren. 
you know, I like Lauren. I, I want to be Lauren. I admire Lauren. I'm proud of Lauren. But because of that, I can love other people whole, with everything I am. And it makes me a great friend. And it makes me want to love other people more, you know? What an absolutely amazing way to end. That was just very special, that moment. Thank you, Lauren. I love you. Where should we follow you? Where are you hanging out on social media? I'm always, of course, and if I'm in Clubhouse, I'm only in your room, of course, on Clubhouse at Lauren Reitinger and at Lauren Reitinger on Instagram and Facebook and, um, of course, Twitter. Uh, so I'm everywhere at Lauren Reitinger. I'm always anywhere where Rob is. Thank you, Lauren. And if we want to go and shop with you, just shop.com. Shop.com. That, oh man, that website must that be. You, that URL was amazing. <laughs> it's funny, when we bought that URL, my husband called me from California and said, Lauren, you know, this is a, a pretty big expense. Should we consider doing this? I said, no, it's not a, he was talking about the business of shop.com at the time. I said, no, no, it's not a big expense. Just think about the four letter domain. It's probably the best four letter domain in the planet. You need to buy it. And we did. And I'm so grateful we did. Lauren, this has been so good. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you so much.